From the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25 and continuing on down through verse 37. Hear now the word of the Lord as it is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Here ends our reading of the Gospel of Luke. May God add his blessing to our hearing. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. So this is a familiar story and uh, one that has, I'm sure you've all heard many, many sermons done on. Um, Many of you probably have heard it so much you could come up here and do it yourself, and uh, given how scattered I am today, I'm tempted to invite you to do so. But, <laughs> but um, it's a, the reason you're so familiar with it is it's just such a rich story that's filled with uh, so much uh, uh, that is foundational to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, it has the you know the the golden rule oddly here in luke this the the telling of the greatest commandment is a question posed by a lawyer and it's not jesus who who proclaims it but uh, the words are actually on the mouth of the lawyer himself and jesus commends him for uh coming up with this greatest commandment so in the other gospels jesus is the one who pronounces the greatest commandment which uh, come from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. They're uh, um, an amalgamation of those two texts from the Old Testament. But in Luke, oddly, uh, it's the lawyer who pronounces that. And Jesus says, very, very good. And then we're told that the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? You know, this lawyer wants to figure out what the parameters are. Where are the boundaries of what, you know, 
uh, how, how, how universal is this rule? Who is my neighbor? So where are the lines in the sand? Who do I have to love as my, you know, as my neighbor, as myself? Who do I have to love and who can I disregard completely? <laughs> That's what the lawyer wants to know. Who's outside of the definition of neighbor that I can just disregard? And Jesus begins to tell a story, as Jesus often does, instead of answering the question, tells this story, a, a parable, one of which Ken will cover in his Bible study in, in July. Uh, <laughs> but tells this parable about a man going down to Jericho, and it's a rocky canyon road, and, and gets attacked by robbers, left for dead, and along comes a priest who just ignores him and walks on by. Along comes a Levite who just ignores him and walks on by. Jesus here is using a, a kind of cliche way of telling uh, a, a story, almost like, almost like our jokes these days. But, uh, you know, a, a priest and a Levite come along and, and this was a typical formula in Jesus's day. It wasn't unusual for, because a, a priest is the religious elite and a Levite was uh, a priestly sect that were kind of snooty. Uh, and Jesus's particular, the circles Jesus ran in, they didn't really care for Levites. You know, they were, there were other kinds of priests that were running around, and Levites were a special class of priests, and they got took, taken care of by the temple, uh, by your offerings that came from the temple, and they were a little bit snooty about it, right? They were kind of, you know, elitist, religious, righteous, and they considered themselves to be quite righteous. So it was common for everyone, your every, everyday average person, Baptists like us, would make fun of these guys <laughs> because we're hardworking folk, right? And these folks are elites. And so the, 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 the joke would usually go, a priest would do something, a Levite would do something, and they would do something silly, and then an, an Israelite who represented the common man would have been the third person in this story who did something righteous or who did something smart. Right, uh, and so it, it was this formula that Jesus was using. So, given that formula, the next person, everyone, we did the priest who walked on by, we did the Levite who walked on by. The next person everyone was expecting was an Israelite, a common everyday man, walks on by, and he was going to be the hero, right? But no, Jesus says a Samaritan. Now that would have had everyone's jaw dropping. Like, wait a minute, that's not the story. A Samaritan. A Samaritan. I, many of you are, if you've you know, been around very long, you know that in Jesus' day, Samaritans were reviled and considered to be loathsome people. In fact, you, you really shouldn't even be caught talking to a Samaritan. And it's hard, it's actually kind of hard to trace some of why that is. Uh, the if you were to talk to Jews in Jesus' day, the Samaritans were colonizers who were brought in to Israel after the exile. And so they were foreigners who kind of took parts of Judaism and, and started 
kind of acquiring them themselves. But they were not, they were not really Jews. They were kind of Jewish, not Jewish, <laughs> right? According, but they, I mean, they were considered, they weren't considered Gentiles either. They were kind of in that weird. Now, according to the Samaritans, they were, uh, they were descendants of the tribes that, that were made up of Joseph's two sons, uh, um, whose name escapes me all of a sudden, but Joseph's two sons had two tribes, uh, and uh, Manasseh was one of them, and I can't remember the other one, Ephraim, sorry, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they, uh, they considered themselves to be the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, and that's where, if you ask a Samaritan where they came from, that's where they came from, so they were legit, as far as they were concerned, legitimate Jewish folk. Uh, but the, really the animosity that was happening at this time, really you have to go back about 150 years before Jesus when the son of a high priest fell, it's a kind of a Shakespearean story, fell in love with a Samaritan woman and married her, the son of a high priest. His name was Manasseh too, but no relation. And, uh, son of the high priest married a Samaritan and was kicked out of Jerusalem, banished from Jerusalem. And so this guy went and built a temple in Samaria and started his own kind of thing going on there. Said, fine, I'll go do my own thing over in Samaria with my wife. And they did that. And uh, then a war broke out and a group of people went and destroyed that temple. And that created some, as you can imagine, that created some ill will between the Jews and the Samaritans at this point, because there was a there was a bit of conflict that went on there. So, suffice it to say that to ascribe righteousness to a Samaritan, to say this is the example I wish for you to follow, was anathema to everything everyone kind of had thought about. So it seems very strange to them to try and see a Samaritan as righteous and showing compassion. And uh, the lawyer and the lawyer was asked by Jesus, who was the neighbor to the guy who got beat up, the guy who was left for dead? And he had to concede the Samaritan. And then Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. And in the same way, we're left, we're, we're, we're kind of left with this charge. Go and do likewise. If we ask ourselves, well, who is our neighbor? We're kind of left to look around and wonder. I think a better question is, who is not my neighbor? <laughs> and I wonder who that would be. And I, I don't know that there, there is, as we can tell by this story, if even the Samaritans can be good neighbors to this person person. There is nobody that is beyond our compassion. That seems to be the message today. It's very obvious. There is nobody that is beyond our compassion. Period. The problem with that is, I think compassion can be kind of tricky. Because I, you know, I mean, if I were the lawyer, I would have continued on and said, well, wait a minute. What, what is 
what are the limits of compassion? Right? What are the boundaries of compassion? Because I don't know about you. I, I think you know as well as I do that it can get a little complex when we're trying to help people. It can get sometimes a little complicated. Sometimes it's easy. Hey, can I borrow your car? Mine broke down. And and Ann says, sure, take our best car. That's how she works. <laughs> and this is a real this is a real world situation. My car broke down right before I got to go to camp, and I didn't have a car to load all this stuff in. So Ann Burnett loaned me her car. That's how compassion works, right? Easy. That one's easy, unless I wreck it. <laughs> but that one's easy, right? But sometimes it gets sometimes it gets complicated. Hey, I need. You know, I, I'm, they're about to kick me out of my house for the third time. Or, uh, you know, I'm being evicted. I, I don't have diapers for my children, but I'm, I'm strung out on heroin. I, you, know, the, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm in jail for this heinous thing. And now I'm out and I need work. I need housing. I need, uh, where, where are the limits of our compassion? And I like to say, I want to believe there are, I mean, I want to believe what Jesus just said. There is no limit to our compassion. There is no, no one unworthy of our compassion. And yet, on a practical level, I find it to be a little complicated. Uh, and so I wonder if there's some, some ways of thinking about this. For, I mean, you know, I would say, first of all, uh, we our compassion is our goal. Compassion is what we lead with. Compassion is the end game, right? Expressing God's love through our compassion makes a huge difference in the lives of the people we touch. And it that and compassion is a very real, active thing. So it's it is to be desired that we we meet people with compassion. Small ways and big ways. Or, and I, I want to say, too, that I, it really ought to be driven by the people's needs. And not necessarily by our wants or desires or our... I don't I want to say that not driven by our, our own needs. I don't want to forsake our own needs for the sake of someone else. But, you know, sometimes we do things just because they feel good, Right? Sometimes I wonder about some of the mission projects we get involved in, whether they are actually accomplishing good things or if we just feel good about them. (laughs) And sometimes we create more problems. All those T-shirts we send to Africa has obliterated uh, African textiles as a tradition and an industry. Uh, You know, we've, we've obliterated it with our old uh, Super Bowl t-shirts and conference t-shirts. So, you know, there's things like that where I kind of think that was driven more, more by my desire to feel good than what was really needed. Right? So compassion ought to be driven by what is needed. Here's another example. It's very easy to drive off the freeway and roll down our window by a crack and hand a dollar out to somebody. It's drive up altruism. You know, we don't even have to get out of the car. Yeah, that feel, that's very good for us. One has to wonder, 
if that's really addressing a problem or if it just makes us feel good, right? I mean, granted, there's a guy there, and this is where it gets complicated. There's a guy there asking for money. Uh, and, and we're, you know, we're, we feel good when we give it to them. Oh, I've done my good deed. But one has to wonder, has this, has this helped? Has this actually accomplished anything? Uh, does this resolve the problem? And it's a conundrum. The city, you know, the city has tried to make panhandling illegal, not, you know, not because they're heartless <laughs> or because, because they get pressure from businesses, but I believe because that doesn't solve the problem of homelessness or need or poverty or any of those things. Uh, it's a band-aid, if even that. A few years ago when I lived in Seattle, for about three years, someone whose family had become so important, a single mother with three children, had become very much entwined in our family. We loved her kids like they were our own. And uh, over the course of three years, we gave her close to $20,000 of, and then at some point realized that uh, she had a drug problem. I mean, I, I'll, it's embarrassing to even tell you this, but she was very good at, <laughs> at convincing us about some things. And, you know, we had spent three years basically feeding into her drug addiction. And it destroyed her life, ultimately, when I cut her off and said, I've been doing this for three years. And nothing has changed. I think you have a problem, and I don't think my money is your solution. And that severed our relationship, and things, you know, really got bad. Well, I, I haven't spoken to her in, in years, but I hear through her children every once in a while, who, who are acquainted with my children, that she's turned it around, and she's doing very well, and they're all living much better and, and things are better. So I have to believe in my heart of hearts that like cutting her off was the compassionate thing to do. And, you know, she had to hit rock bottom. And that's, so compassion, I think, is difficult. It's, it's tricky. And I think there are some, so it needs to be driven by, not by our own need to feel good, and it needs to be driven by what what are the actual need? What actually helps? <laughs> right? What is actually going to help a person? In the story today, this person was beat to hell and needed medical attention. <laughs> and so that's what the Samaritan did. Um, the other thing I would say about compassion is it ought to be sacrificial. It ought to... You know, I think there's nothing wrong with something costing us something, right? I think that's what charity looks like. It needs to cost us something. However, it doesn't also need to be at the expense of your own well-being, right? Now, by well-being, I don't mean if you can't buy a Mercedes because you've given, you know, you have to buy a Ford instead of a Mercedes because you've been compassionate. I'm not going to feel sorry for you, but I don't want, you know, so many of us sometimes we drain ourselves of not just resources, but energy, spiritual energy, emotional energy, and we give our whole 
life to someone else who bleeds us dry. I don't believe that's what compassion demands of us. Compassion doesn't mean that someone else prospers at your expense. But it means that we, we work together to meet the needs of those around us who are in need. Amen? And the nice part about what Jesus is getting at here is that it doesn't fall on any one of us. That I can do a little bit, you can do a little bit, and I pray to God when I walk away, as with this friend of mine in in Seattle, I pray to God when I walk away, someone who can bring what is needed in will God will bring that person into that person's life, right? There is this intertwining of our efforts that, is, that makes it more than the sum of its parts. And we don't have to be all there is. We don't have to be the only ones sharing compassion. Uh, I won't tell a long story, but I, you know, I, I sometimes think that the reason Mother Teresa had her faith crisis, maybe you heard about that, she had a bit of a faith crisis while she was doing her work in Calcutta. There's a big part of me that thinks the reason she had that faith crisis was because she was doing a lot of that all on her own and struggled to get the help that was needed. Here was this giant need, and she wanted to give compassion and gave all she had and more, and it cost her her faith. Whereas if others had answered the call, enough had answered the call, um, her faith might have been refreshed. I think that's how it works. And so I, I want us all to hear this call to compassion today, but not recognize it, but recognize the complexities of it and acknowledge the complexities of it. And find within this call some practical help. Uh, And let the compassion be driven by what is good for the person, what is helpful, not what makes me feel good, but also what is going to sustain both of us, not just one or the other. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to hear this story, a new uh, familiar story, but one that bears repeating. God, may we be people filled with compassion for those around us. We know, God, that that is foundational to who you want us to be in the world as we represent you as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. And We pray, God, that you will call us to live lives of active compassion. And yet, give us permission, God, to be wise as we do it. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.